Well, good morning, church, or as Sophie said, good afternoon or good evening, depending upon what time it is that you are watching this. You know, uh, Dave Wessel has been telling me for some time now that it would be a good idea for me to record a sermon or two to have just in case something happened on a Sunday morning. Well, this is the first time I've ever recorded a sermon like this, and I have to tell you, I never could have imagined that it would be for this reason. None of us could have predicted this. But here we are, with churches closed, not just across the country, not just across our state, but throughout the entire world, as we face a pandemic like nothing we've ever experienced in any of our lifetimes. While several of you have made jokes to me about never coming back to church because you are enjoying church from your living rooms, at least those better have been jokes. <laughs> I know in all honesty that we are missing each other. I am missing you. And this is only our second Sunday not together. I am missing our Wednesday nights when we gather for dinner. I am missing our times of worship and our times of prayer. I am missing the conversations and the connection that happened before and after all of those things. Because the truth is that in addition to all of the anxiety and all of the fear that I know many are experiencing, there is also a lot of grief. We have those in our community who are in college and have had to abruptly say goodbye to their community. We have seniors in high school and in college who have lost their last semester their spring sports, and now even their chance to celebrate their graduations after all of these years of hard work. We have folks at home who are lonely. We have folks who are nervous and upset that they can't be home because work doesn't allow for that. We have healthcare workers who are working insane hours, even as they put themselves in jeopardy for the rest of us. We have hourly workers who have lost their jobs entire industries that are on pause. We have kids in our community who are quarantined in unsafe homes. We have people who are not able to get the resources that they need. We have elderly folks and care facilities cut off from the rest of the world. Grief is everywhere. These are difficult days to be sure. And so I assumed that when it came time for me to preach this Sunday, that I would alter our previously chosen text and topic to better reflect our current situation. Our theme for Lent and the text that went with it were chosen back in December. Now, Sam did a great job with our text and topic last week when he talked about dealing with doubt. But what were the chances that our chosen topic would fit our current circumstances two weeks in a row during such an unprecedented time of crisis? So I looked up our topic for today, this being the fourth week of our Lenten series, Lessons from the Desert. And lo and behold, our title for today is Receiving Comfort. And I thought, well, gosh, of all the things we could probably use right now, comfort sounds pretty good. So I figured I would run with it. God clearly knew what he was doing, as God always does. We chose this particular series because Lent is a time to withdraw in a unique way. Lent creates an opportunity for introspection that we don't usually take advantage of the rest of the year. Lent calls us to the desert to spend time with Jesus during his final days on earth. 
Now, I'm certainly not saying that we are in our final days on Earth, but the rest of it seems pretty fitting, doesn't it? For we have certainly withdrawn in a unique way. I saw a quote this week that said, I didn't anticipate giving up quite so much for Lent. It's funny, but it is also true. Lent calls us to introspection and time alone, to face the difficulties of this life, to sacrifice some of the things that come between us and God. Well, we are certainly doing all of those things in a way that we could not and did not anticipate. But that's what desert experiences are all about, right? They are usually unexpected. They are filled with all kinds of difficulty, struggle and silence, temptation and tough choices, loss and grief, worry and heartbreak. For the past weeks, we've been looking at Jesus's desert experience, but our text this morning actually walks us through someone else's, and it is a unique one. It comes from the text that you heard Sam read to us from 2 Corinthians. So we know that this book is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. Now, Paul was being attacked because of his sufferings and his weakness, and because of those things, his identity as a Christ follower was being called into question. It is because of that that we see Paul come across as somewhat defensive in this book because that is literally what he was doing, was defending himself. In his letter, he writes about how his life and his ministry are one in the same. He is defending himself as an apostle or teacher of the gospel, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel message. We remember that this was the early church. The message of Christ and his death and resurrection was just spreading throughout the area. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he anticipated getting back there again, but much had happened since that first letter. And one of the major things that had happened was that the people of Corinth had become extremely misled about the gospel message. There were false prophets that popped up among them who who began to twist the gospel message and who taught the Corinthians to believe things about Jesus that just were not true. And so in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul was acting as their pastor, teaching and encouraging them in the ways of Christ. In this second letter, Paul is defending himself as a credible teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is preparing to come back to Corinth, and in this letter, he is essentially offering the Corinthians one final opportunity to come back to Jesus. But for such a strong letter with such a strong message, I want to take us back first to how he begins this letter before we get to the part that we're actually going to look at today. And so in 2 Corinthians 1, he begins with his usual greeting. And then starting in verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance 
of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you, he says, is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. So even though Paul gets into some serious stuff with them in this letter, he opens up by telling them about who God is in the midst of trouble. Praise be to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. And so it is important that Paul starts where he does here. And it's so important that we recognize that before we look into our main text for today. So kind of just put a little pin in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then if you're following along in your Bibles, hop on over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So this is the chapter where Paul talks about the infamous thorn in his flesh. Now, this whole section begins on a little bit of a weird note. It talks a lot about this issue of boasting. This issue of boasting has something to do with the culture of Corinth at the time. Because Corinth has, has kind of become this melting pot of people where individualism and self-sufficiency were praised as the be-all, end-all. Where wealthy people and money equaled status. We can obviously relate to that. It is not dissimilar to our own culture. In Corinth, your status became your place in society. And the way that you let other people know about your status was by boasting in what you had and in who you were. So this idea of boasting, oddly enough, was a normal way of communicating in the city of Corinth at the time. So in this passage, Paul is trying to say, yeah, I can boast. I can boast with the rest of them. And he could. Paul was one of the most influential characters in the entire early church, and everyone knew it. Much of the New Testament was penned by Paul. His missionary journeys absolutely changed Christianity. He was phenomenally educated. He had a lot that he could boast about if he really wanted to get into it with these Corinthians. But what he chose to boast about instead, what he wanted to boast about instead, well, that just kind of threw everyone for a loop. Because instead of bragging about his education, his background, his miraculous conversion, or even his influence on the early church, instead of those things, Paul wants to boast in his weakness. And look at what it says here, starting in the second half of verse 7. It says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we have talked about this thorn in Paul's side before. Namely, that no one knows what it is. Is it a limp like what Jacob had? Is it terrible eyesight? Is it some kind of depression? Is it a chronic pain condition? We don't really know what it is. But what we do know is that it was something that he struggled with for the rest of his life, and that it was also something that made him somewhat difficult to be around. It's a huge part of the reason why the Corinthians were being so hard on Paul, because here he was trying to teach them about this Christ 
who supposedly raised from the dead, who can perform miracles, who healed people, and yet his top teacher is walking around with some kind of dreadful thing that makes people not want to be around him. It didn't add up in their minds. They weren't so convinced that Paul or his gospel message were valid. And that is why this passage is so significant. Because in in the way that only Jesus can, he turns Paul and his situation on its head to show others just how opposite the gospel message is from the way that they live their lives. Instead of boasting about all that is good and popular and impressive about Paul, he is going to boast in the one thing that makes him look weak. And Paul readily admits in this passage that he didn't just accept his fate like the perfect Christian that everyone assumes that he was. This was not easy for Paul. When we get to verse 8, it shows us that Paul didn't want to accept this thorn as part of his life. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So this wasn't Paul acquiring whatever this thorn was and then saying three times over and over, please take it away, please take it away, please take it away. And God didn't answer. And so Paul moved on with his life. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that there were three different times in Paul's life where dealing with whatever it was that he was given, where that became so unbelievably unbearable that he cried out to God and begged him to take it away from him, to heal him, to fix this situation, to make the suffering stop. And this is one of the beautiful things about knowing, not knowing what exactly the thorn was for Paul, because it makes it much easier for, for us to relate to the situation that he was in. Previously, when we've talked about this thorn in our own situations, We've said things like, what is the thing in your life right now that you have begged God to take away from you? Maybe it is an illness or a disability. Maybe it has to do with your finances. Maybe you have begged God to heal your broken marriage, your broken family, your distant children. Maybe your thorn right now is depression or anxiety. The list is endless. What is it in your life that causes you to beg God to cry out that thing that you are desperate to have fixed or healed or changed or repaired or taken away altogether. And all of those questions and all of those realities still apply. Some of you really are dealing with one or more of those things, and so you've begged God to make it better. But we are also in a different season of life now, where we are all together experiencing something that we are collectively begging God to take away. This pandemic has ruined your vacations, canceled your plans, uprooted your daily lives. It has ended school. It has ended jobs. And for thousands of people around the world, it has ended lives. It has invoked in many of us a fear and an anxiety that we are not used to. The news changes so quickly that we are constantly on edge. We wake up each day wondering what difficult news or major change this day is going to bring. And so we beg God to make it stop. We beg God to keep us safe, to provide what we need, to guard those we love. The anxiety and the fear of the unknown, it cannot be too much. And so we beg God to make it stop, just as Paul did. And while this is not always the easiest story, it is an important one for us. 
Paul was as faithful as they come. He spent every waking hour serving God. He put his life on the line for his faith. He shaped the entire church. He wrote half of the New Testament. And yet this man of tremendous faith experienced the silence of God. He experienced God saying, no. And I need you to let that sink in for a moment because so often, so often we judge ourselves and our faith by our inability to hear from God. We think if God is silent, it must be some kind of reflection on my faith, my lack of dedication, my my prayers aren't good enough, my faith isn't strong enough. If only I were a better Christian, I would hear from God. But Paul reminds us clearly here that God's silence is not the same thing as God's absence. Just because we are not hearing from God does not mean that God has abandoned us. God's silence is not the same thing as God's absence. How do we know that? Because God never promised that we would always hear his voice, but God absolutely promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. In the moments or even seasons of life when we are crying out to God and God is silent, we have to cling to that which God has already promised us. Not that this life would be easy, but that God would never leave us alone. But the story gets even more interesting here because it's not like God was silent for those three seasons in Paul's life and then, and then God finally said, okay, Paul, now you are healed. That's not what God did. Instead, God was silent in Paul's life on that particular issue. And then when God did answer, he said no. God said no to Paul, one of his greatest servants, one of the greatest teachers. God said no. No, Paul, I will not remove this thorn from your flesh. I will not heal you. This is an incredible story because this is our real life. This is our life. We are facing this crazy situation right now, this global pandemic, and it breaks our hearts and shatters our dreams. It throws off our sense of hope. It causes us fear and anxiety, and we are asking God to intervene. And what we learn from Paul here is that sometimes God chooses to change our situation, and sometimes he doesn't. And when he doesn't, it's easy for us to panic. It's easy for us to try to grab control of anything we think we can control. It's tempting to seek comfort in anything that feels comfortable in the moment. We want information. We want answers. We want assurance. We want someone to tell us what is going to happen so that we can plan accordingly. And when that information and those assurances are not available to us, fear and anxiety can absolutely overwhelm us. I am sure that many of us have felt that this past week or so, especially. And that's why I'm so glad that this just happened to be our long ago chosen topic for today, this chosen text for today. Because though God did not do what Paul wanted God to do, Paul did do, God did do what Paul needed most, as only God can. What Paul assumed he needed was to be free from the pain. What God knew Paul needed was God. So God said, here's what I will do. I will promise you that my grace will be sufficient for you. I will promise you my very real presence in the midst of your very real pain. I will promise you my very real comfort 
in the midst of your very real fear. And I will promise you that it will be enough, that I will be enough. And ultimately, that led Paul to say to us, the church, church, God is going to give you something so much better than your circumstance, your situation, your chaos, your pain. He's going to give you himself. And I can tell you firsthand that it is enough. Church, I know that these days are scary. I have lost myself in moments of fear like everyone else. But I want to remind us this morning that at no point, at no point in this whole thing was God up in heaven, pacing back and forth, muttering to himself, saying, I didn't see this coming. I didn't know that this pandemic was going to get out of control, and now I don't, I don't even know what to do. The God who was on his throne before this started is the same God who is still on his throne while this is unfolding, and he will be the same still on his throne when all of this is over. That and that alone is how and why God calls us to live by faith and not by fear. This journey through the desert, this journey through Lent has not turned out the way that any of us have expected. And to make matters worse, we still don't know how this is going to turn out, even in the days, let alone weeks or months to come. We don't know what will go back to the way that it once was and what will be forever changed. We don't know which businesses will survive and which won't. We don't know who will have jobs and who won't. We don't know how or when the economy will recover. We don't know what happens when students lose nearly an entire semester of school. We don't know what happens if churches can't meet on Easter Sunday. The unknowns that lie before us are immeasurable. And that is exactly why we as the church have to shift our minds from all that is unknown to the God who is known and to the God who knows us. We have to stop swimming in all that could be and immerse ourselves in all that is. What is known is God. What is unknown is everything else. What is known is that we have a God who, who made some very concrete promises to us that he has never and will never go back on, that he is always faithful, that he is always with us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that he is always in control, that he always has a plan, that he always knows what's best for us, and that he is always good. <clears throat> A couple of days ago, one of my favorite worship bands, Ren Collective, played live on Instagram from their living room. As is the case for most musicians, all of their concerts have been canceled, and so they decided to do these little living room experiences for people. It was just a simple half hour live from their couch in Nashville, and it was one of the best things I participated in this week. Why? Because when I watch the news, and check online for all of the latest updates, my soul feels chaotic and burdened, nervous and heavy, because chaos is the only thing that the world is selling these days. But when I turn my attention toward worshiping the God who never changes, my soul receives all of the things that God has to offer. And none of those things include fear or chaos. And so church, Praise be 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves received from God. There is a promise and a calling in this text. And while we navigate the days ahead, I pray that we would heed both the promise and the calling, that we would know to the very depths of our souls the God of all comfort, and that we would take the comfort that we ourselves received from God and offer it freely to a scared and hurting world. I'm going to leave you this morning with this quote from Joni Erickson Tata. She said, you don't have to be alone in your hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been made possible by your Savior. He went without comfort so that you might have it. He postponed joy so that you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so you might never be alone in your hurt and sorrow. Friends, comfort is yours. And joy is an option. Let's pray together. God, I know that this is not the way that any of us have anticipated doing church together. This is outside all of the walls, outside all of the boxes that any of us ever could have imagined. And so God, this morning I am grateful. I am grateful for our friends and family here at Hillcrest Covenant Church. I'm grateful to know that even while we are not physically together, that we are gathered around all kinds of different devices, listening to, um, to this message and worshiping together and joining our hearts in prayer. God, we thank you for meeting us in this place. We thank you, God, that even for those of us who feel alone or isolated, that we are reminded this morning that you chose isolation so that we would know comfort. And so, God, may we just tune our hearts to you. May we tune out all of the things that are going on around us. Lord, not that we would be uninformed, but that we wouldn't allow the chaos to run our soul. That instead, God, we would allow your comfort to wash over us. That wherever we are this morning, whatever place we have, are in or whatever we have experienced this week, God, that we would offer those things to you, that we would be reminded this morning that you are still on your throne and that you are still offering all of who you are to each one of us this morning. And so, God, may we spend our time worshiping you, that we would receive all of the things that you have to offer, all of the things that you give so freely. God, would we receive your comfort? May we receive your comfort, that we would in turn be a comfort to our scared world. God, this is a time for the church to rise up in a unique way, in a way that the church has never been called to before. And so, God, while we are all caught up in the news, may the church instead spread your truth. Be with us this day and in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, church, I don't know what else you are doing today, but we pray that God's blessing would go with you and, uh, and we pray that you would meet God and that God would meet you in this next set of worship this morning.